0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Weak Men and the Sin of Eden. So today, what we're going to be discussing is male passivity and its origin, its expression, and its cure. As many of you will note, in our rapidly deteriorating world, the assaults that we are seeing on manhood have far-reaching implications, not just for culture, but also for families and for men and women alike. And really, many Christian men have fallen into the pit of passivity they want out, and we, through this podcast, hope to help. So I know, Aaron, many men appear to be disinterested or perhaps ill-equipped or really just plain terrified to lead in their marriages, families, and churches. And so where we want to start is, where does this really stem from?
1: Well, in the opening chapters of the Bible, it discusses the fall of humanity into sin in Genesis chapter 3. And then as you go through Genesis chapter 3, it gets to some of the consequences and one of the most interesting verses in that section is found in Genesis 3, 16, where it's talking about a woman's pain being uh, increased, multiplied, and childbearing. And then there's a statement that says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. There's a little footnote beside the word for that says it can also mean against. So properly interpreted, what that word actually means is out for. And some of the upgrades to the translation include that. Now, structurally, if you look at that passage, your desire shall be for, meaning out for, there'll be a natural tendency because of sin for a woman to try to usurp her husband's authority. And he will try to rule over her. And the word there is crush. Now, we know that because there's a parallel grammatical construction found in the next passage, in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, Where God is warning Cain that sin is coming for him. And he says there, its desire shall be for you. So for doesn't mean in favor of, supportive of, on your side, I'm your buddy. No, it means it's coming for you. It's against you. And God's advice to him is, but you must rule over it, meaning you must crush it. So 4.17, which is a different context, has the same grammatical structure to that statement, and it helps us to understand that one of the implications of the curse outlined in Genesis 3.16 is that there is enmity between the husband and his wife. So the uh, natural propensity of a woman in a sin-infested world is to try to dominate, to try to usurp her husband's authority— He likewise is affected by sin. So his response is to try to crush her. Hmm. So he's not demonstrating love to his wife and she's not demonstrating respect for his his, uh, headship over the union. If we look at scripture, the bottom line is that Adam's sort of seminal sin, if you will, the Edenic sin, the sin of Eden, which has been passed on to all of his male descendants, is passivity. Eve was having a conversation with the serpent. The serpent was trying to manipulate, ultimately succeeded. And she took the fruit and it says she gave some to Adam who was with her. So Adam's sin was to remain silent, to be passive, to not step up and say, actually, I heard what God had said just a few hours ago. This is all on the same day. This is wrong. We're not going to do this, honey. We're moving in a different direction. But even though one could say that Eve was the one that, first sinned, Adam was sinning along with her because of his passive response. And he is fingered as the one ultimately culpable for that. This is why there's a need in the New Testament for the second Adam, not a second Eve, but a second Adam to rectify the first Adam's sin where he disobeyed God through his passivity. So it's really critical for people to understand this as they're trying to sort through the relationship between a husband and wife that Women are affected by sin and men are affected by sin. And what sin does is it attacks our identity as husbands or wives. It attacks our core responsibility. In Ephesians chapter five, where we have this beautiful image of the church used as the foundation for Christian marriage, it talks about the husband being like Christ to his wife, loving his wife. And that would exclude crushing her. And it talks about the wife's responsibility to respond to her husband as the church responds to Christ by respecting and submitting to his authority. So the opposite of respecting and submitting is usurpation Mm -hmm. when you try to dominate over. So what was lost in Eden, Christ is seeking to regain through the gospel of Jesus Christ in each of our lives. And I'll just add one more thing. That the eschatological vision for the Christian church is that she would be presented to Christ, the church, as the bride of Christ, and Christ as the heavenly groom. So this this attack on marriage in Genesis chapter 3 has clear consequences. In the here and now, God has provided us with great teaching like in Ephesians chapter 5 to help us to see how to redeem that in a sin-sick world. And the eschatological vision is that it's going to be redeemed in its ultimate form when the Christian church is presented as the bride to the ultimate groom, who is Christ. So this is really important for people to understand, that we're not just talking about issues that are relevant to modern culture. This has been a problem since the beginning of time in every human culture, in every marriage, there's going to be degrees to which this sin is expressed, but it can be redeemed through uh, a gospel-oriented marriage and by 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 moving husbands and wives back to the the creational ideals that God originally designed for us all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there truly
1: is new nothing new under the sun, right? Yeah, it's just right now it tends to be more of a a public state-sponsored onslaught against marriage. That hasn't historically been the case in many cultures. In, in most historical cultures, this state would affirm what we would call a creational understanding of marriage. There's different role relationships. Now, in some historic states, it was taken too far where the husband was given permission to crush his wife and she just had to submit to him. So there was like abuse. We're not talking about, uh, condoning that in any way, shape, or form. But it's relatively unprecedented if you study human history and cultures to have such an onslaught where men are being denigrated
0: to the degree that they are and women are supposedly being, being elevated. Mm-hmm. So obviously, as you mentioned, there's an assault on manhood in our culture, in broader culture. Um, so what are some of the messages men need to be aware of that fuel male passivity?
1: Yeah, that's a a really important thing for us to be thinking about. Pay attention to the subtle and not so subtle, increasingly not so subtle, messages that you are choosing to listen to and potentially believe as a male. So if you have a desire to lead well, to understand your calling and your relationship with your woman— It's it's important for you to be able to spot the lies, to identify the lies that are being whispered in your ear. And there are several in this current cultural milieu that are being promoted. One is that men are microaggressive. So the idea is that any display that a man might make of courage, of dominance, of headship, or of initiative is harmful and must not be tolerated. And even compliments can be taken this way. Oh honey, your hair looks good. Or, you know, that was really well said. Well, who are you to be the determiner of whether what I look like is good or bad. You're trying to dominate me through this compliment. There this is obviously an ex this would only take place in, in extreme cases, but the there is a subtle Chris, not so subtle attack. Basically men are being told to sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. Like You can warm the bench, get off the field. And men need to be careful not to apologize for that. Uh, Courage, dominance, headship, initiative is part of our male identity. Now, we we need to learn to express that positively and redemptively toward our wives, but these are not things that we should be apologizing for. There's also an increased emphasis on this idea of privileged. Well, males are privileged because of history, you know, historically- you're one-upping women because you have this innate historical backdrop where men were in charge of everything, and we sort of need to overturn that. So the idea is that, guys, it's time to step down. That's what culture is essentially telling men. It's time to step down. Even um, in some of the major banks. So let's take Scotiabank, for, for example. Scotiabank is a Canadian bank. It's kind of one of the big five in Canada. And they have this thing called the Women's Initiative. And the Women's Initiative, if you read their website, I've seen it in, in their banks, because I, I used to bank with them, but I've pulled out, frankly, because they're following the woke agenda. They talk about breaking down barriers for women. They don't define what those barriers are. And they just make this blanket statement that there's barriers for women in business and entrepreneurship, so we're gonna have these special funds, these special initiatives available for you. And the idea is, is, that women are somehow at a disadvantage to men. That's, that's, what's, that's the innate lie behind initiatives like this, that women are disadvantaged, men are advantaged, and we need to rectify that in culture. So it's sort of a radical egalitarianism. It doesn't take into consideration that in a marriage, husband and wives have different roles. Yeah, one might be more prominent, one less prominent, one more public, one more home-based, especially if you have children. There's a judgment being made that that's somehow bad. And if you if you run the math and there's not as many women in business as there are men, well, then somehow we need to fix that. That's uh, indication of some systemic issue. Not necessarily so. One common sense reason might be because women are home-bearing children for the most part. In ways that men aren't. So these are some of the subtle um, lies that men are being told. Another one would be that you should be an egalitarian. Unfortunately, this is being promoted in many, quote unquote, Christian churches, Mm -hmm. that there should be radical, functional equality. So it's really important at this point to... Help people to understand or just be reminded that when we talk about men and women and equality, we do believe in equality of personhood. We believe in equality of value. We believe in equality of access to Christ, spiritual gifts. Uh, We're both made in the image and likeness of God. Like ontologically, when it comes to our being, our essence, we are equal. But we are not equal, if you mean by that, the same in function we're not biologically the same, we're not emotionally the same, we're not sexually the same, we are different. And that's part of the beauty of true diversity. It's interesting the world likes to talk about diversity, but really what they're in true is homosexuality or gender fluidity. These aren't words that truly describe diversity. They're trying to bring everything together so there's this mushy middle where everybody is the same. And that actually destroys beauty. Beauty in part is found in the contrasts of creation. So we have radical egalitarianism, which says that anything a woman can do, a man can do. Anything a man can do, a woman can do. We're all the same. We all think the same. We all act the same. Well, no no wonder many young men, and I disciple, I've discipled a lot of young men over the years. No wonder many young men don't want or are terrified to ask a woman out on a date. It's like, I don't want to demonstrate any sort of initiative. I'll just wait for her. And the women are sitting around thinking, when are they going to ask? Well, maybe I shouldn't ask because I've been given permission. So what we have is we we have many uh, young men, and I think this is sort of on a deep subconscious level, that would actually rather be alone than be denied their biblical right to lead. I've counseled and interact with young men who are, desperate to have a girlfriend and start the process of moving towards marriage, but literally never talk to girls. And they can't, they don't really know why there's just some sort of a terror. There's some sort of a fear there because women have been told, you know, you need, you can be in charge. You can do anything a man can do. You, you, you know, you should be treated as a functional equal in every single aspect of life, which is a lie. Okay. Which is a lie because there's mm-hmm. certain things men can do that women can't and vice versa. And so we've created this stalemate, almost like a standoff <laughs> where many young men, and many young women who want to be married, who want to be in a meaningful relationship are just one staring across the field one way, the other staring across the field the other way. And nobody wants to make a move because they're not sure if they're, they're even allowed to. Mm-hmm. You all, you've also heard about the whole idea of the patriarchy or masculinity being a toxic social construct. So that's sort of part of the whole woke agenda, that being a man is somehow bad. It's like you got to go around apologizing for being, a man, uh, for being a man, that we should support radical feminism, which is both dysfunctional and despairing, even though what's interesting is the snake's eating its own tail yeah. because the feminism of the 60s is now being hijacked by the transgender movement of the 2020s in that the 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 rights that women have fought for are essentially being lost especially in female athletics as men that claim to be women go and dominate them on the track which is a fascinating phenomenon to see in some respects it's probably a, a good thing for this to get crazier and crazier so the more people might wake up to it mm-hmm. the final thing would be that um, this this subtle notion that men are somehow just sexual animals they're rapists you know this is, Uh, obviously there are many men that are sexual animals and that are rapists and have done bad things and are sexual perverts and frankly need to get their act together. But um, the Me Too movement is is an interesting movement because it's sort of predicated upon the assumption that if there's sexual aggression between the genders, it's pretty much always going to be initiated by the man. Mm. And that is not only a falsehood, but it also, again, pushes men to the sidelines and makes them afraid to initiate relationally. I mean, every every um, man-woman relationship that's moving towards marriages innately has a sexual dimension to it. I'm not saying that you're having sex, but it's sexual in its nature, a male and a female seeking out the other. It 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 hinders men because they're terrified – what am I going to be accused of if i if I'm friendly with this woman? What am I going to be accused of if I open the door? What am I going to be accused of if I um, try to hold her hand? So it's it's a self-defeating. it's in response to some abuses in culture,
0: but it, it's been taken too far. In fact, it's been taken in the wrong direction in terms of its application. Mm-hmm. You know, as you think about or you mentioned these subtle signs that they men need to be aware of, that fuel passivity. Some of these are, quite frankly, not so subtle anymore. I just think back to even years ago how um, a lot of the shows we watch, the men are stereotypically the the idiots of the family, right? And uh, it's like a subtle undermining of the respectability of masculinity,
1: right. right? Yeah, I think. Remember, I don't know if you would remember this old show called The Honeymooners, Mm-mm. where. It was kind of—I think it was a black and white show—but there was the the dippy, overweight husband and the sort of keen, sharp-minded woman, and he was just always kind of a screwball. I'm pretty sure it was the honeymooners, and then later on there was sort of an update to that. I can't remember the name of the show, but that's common to 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 uh, portray men as sort of dipsticks because it is hilarious. I mean, men do some yeah. silly things, <laughs> True. and women sort of as being in charge and being more more intellectual. Um. The other thing is if you watch like cop shows, it's pretty much in every cop show now. First of all, almost all main actors in all the series now are single, which is interesting. You hardly ever meet it's like a whole platoon of cops and they're all single. Mm-hmm. And they're cross-dating and you know, maybe one's gay and one's a lesbian, and you gotta throw your token gay or lesbian in pretty much every series now. They're all like 35, 40, 45, 50 years old. They're pretty much all single. Mm. So none of them are really portraying, very few of them are portraying, you know, an intact marriage as being a respectable thing. And they, there's, I, I don't have a problem with women serving in this role, but the women are usually like the ones quickest with the gun, most likely to take down the bad guy, kind of, it, you know, large and in charge. Well, there's obviously a place and culture for different personalities of women serving in different areas, including politics or policing. But what I would what I would maybe just cause or encourage people to think about is the what what shows, what TV shows, what celebrity programs portray the godly stay-at-home mom who's raising her children and who is involved in the life of her church and as a virtuous woman as something to reach for. Mm -hmm. And we are products of our culture and Christian women need to be aware of this, that um, you need to think through, what is your mental image of a successful woman and where does that actually come from? Yeah. And for many, I, I think the conclusion they're going to arrive at is it actually comes from a culture that hates creational marriage and very subtly is drawing you away from those virtues. So we have a lot of young women that are being told, you need to get a career. you know, And some of them are even being told, you need to get a career, even though we know you may not be going into that career, because what if your husband abandons you? <laughs> yeah, It's like insur- an insurance policy. And uh, you need to get a career, which... Again, we're not opposed to women having careers, but from a, an economic financial perspective, it doesn't always make sense for a woman to graduate from high school, go through four or five or six years of university, graduate, work for a year, and then start having kids and stay home anyway. Um, it, it might make more sense if a woman is career-minded to have children younger, and as she moves through life and the kids are into educational processes, to then pursue an outside of the home career. By the way, I'm not opposed to women working outside of the home. Mm -hmm. The Proverbs 31 woman worked outside of the home, but there's something also beautiful and creational about a woman being very content to uh, have children and raise the next generation of God fearing believers. And even in saying that, I understand that I, you know, I almost feel that I need to create a whole bunch of, of uh, disclaimers, <laughs> so that people don't think I'm saying something I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. Um, because in our culture, we we have this—it's—it's it's built into the structures that we found ourselves in. This automatic, automatic um, uh, f- sense that you have to apologize for encouraging women to have children or to pursue marriage. But anyway, this show is not so much about women's responsibility, though mm-hmm. it's related to men's. I really want to focus in on how men need to do a better job in stepping up and denouncing the sin of Eden, male mm-hmm. passivity, and to become strong, courageous men for Christ that will bless their churches, families, marriages, and so forth.
0: Right. And praise God, there are men that are standing up against passivity, and we're against these assaults, really. And- The reality, unfortunately, though, is that many are buckling. And so maybe you could say and just share how you've seen men buckle to the attacks on manhood. Yeah. Well, so where is this
1: coming from? So I've pastored now for um, close to 30 years, and I've been a youth pastor, a senior pastor, taught college students, seminary students, and I have had the privilege of discipling probably about Six, 50 to 60 young men in our own church over the last five years. And you start to see patterns in generations. And I also have three adult sons of my own. So observing their behavior and how my strengths or weaknesses have rubbed off on them. So I think, I think what men tend to do, okay, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, but men tend to do when they are confronted with some problem, which not like a problem, like the car, the, the engine just blew in the car mm-hmm. or shingles just blew off my roof. Those are things you can just, you do step A, B, and C and you fix it. But when it comes to relational spiritual challenges, the tendency of all of us as men, because we're great, 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 et cetera, grandsons of Adam, is to do what he did, to just go passive to hide and to pretend to not wanna deal with the issue. It's like, we just don't wanna invest the relational horsepower in solving this conflict with you know, my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife. So one of the things I see a lot of young men doing is they, they retreat instead of doing battle with the forces of darkness, their own fleshly impulses, the challenges in their marriage, they resort to entertainment. And this is where there's been a, um, in my mind a, a sickening reliance upon video games upon comic books upon fantasy type movies to as as an outlet like men a lot of young young men in particular want to retreat to a fantasy world so they spend hours every day in a fake world where they can, you know, take out their lightsaber and do battle with some other video character. They can shoot people up on a battlefield, or they can watch the latest comic movie that's come out. It's like they're retreating. I'm not. A, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in principle opposed to entertainment, but if it's excessive, you got to ask why is it that I need to play video games this often? Why? Why is it that I I'm just so geeked every time the latest? Avenger movie comes out or whatnot, because it, that's a, that's a, that's a fantasy world. It's not a real world. And that can be a day turned into a dangerous addiction. Also men are innately as women are sexual beings. And the, one of the challenges with the modern world is that people have access to fake sex, to fake intimacy. And this is why, the vast majority of men at some point or another have struggled with pornographic addiction. It's it's You get to see what you'd see in marriage and then some things you would never want to put into practice in marriage. But you get to see the naked woman. You get to see the images of the intimacy. You get to feel maybe that you're loved. But there's not really any commitment there. You, like this woman's not going to talk back. This woman is not going to actually want to have meaningful spiritual conversations with you. So a lot of young men are destroying themselves from even being able to have relational satisfaction because they're, they're training their minds and bodies to find gratification, something that's not real. So again, it's, it's the fantasy world. Uh, fear, silence, a do-nothing response is, is another common one where sometimes a lot of women come and they're expressing issues about their marriage to one of our biblical counselors and you ask, well, "What's your husband? What's his feedback?" He won't. He won't. He doesn't want to talk about it. So just stay silent. It's like put your head down and hope hope it goes away. Hide in your tornado shelter, so mm-hmm. to speak. That's another a problem among a lot of single men. Uh, it's just a lack of willingness to be with women. I've literally had young men say, "I I can't find a godly woman to date." I'm like you. Don't even talk to women. Period. I I watch you. I watch you at church. You don't you don't even talk to women. Like literally, they could be standing beside you. You don't say anything. So the problem is not an absence of women. Okay, the problem is many people have not learned the relational skills to start the conversation because they're terrified. They don't know what the the boundaries are to even initiate the conversation. I would say too that, again, I'm not opposed to online Christian dating sites or whatever because it seems to be more common. But it is a fascinating phenomenon that there are some people who go to online dating sites to find a mate when they're actually surrounded by potential mates. But there's something, there's something in our culture where it's like I'm more used to having those – artificial conversation. So you kind of have the text messaging or the, the, the emailing back and forth. There's something more comfortable about that. It's, it's, it, it protects me from potential harm. And then at some point, if, if I'm starting to feel more and more comfortable, then, you know, I'll have the conversation in person. But in the old days, people didn't have that option. Somehow they figured out a way to have a conversation. So we, we're creating a culture, I would say, increasing where people are very socially awkward. I mean, Chris... We hear of people that ask each other out through text messages, know, adults, yeah. and who break up with each other through text messages. This is wimpy. This is weak. This feeds fear. This fear feeds um, your inability to have a proper uh, relationship with someone. And then we have political correctness where you know there's certain things you're you're, you're not allowed to say. In marriage, You're, you shouldn't be having that conversation with your wife. I would disagree. I I would be I would encourage every Christian man and every Christian woman to have whatever conversation they need to have with their spouse. The only thing that hinders free speech, you know, the ability to confront behavior, ask a meaningful question, is the Bible. So you, you shouldn't be swearing at each other, cursing each other, being violent with your your you know verb you know your language with the other. But um. Say what you think and that will help mature you. Even if you end up being wrong, say what you think. This is one of the things that um, I think hinder men. And also, I would say that many in a relationship, I mean, if you lined up a hundred couples, I don't I'm just making these numbers up. But presumably you'd have about one third of them, where the men and women are sort of intellectual equals, one-third where the man is maybe a little more intellectually superior, and one-third where the woman is a little more intellectually superior. What I mean by superior is maybe just a little quicker on the draw. That's fine. But I think some men that find themselves in relationships with women that have strong verbal skills and are frankly pretty smart women, they just get intimidated. They don't know what to say. But I have, I have seen godly men who are principle-centered who may be lacking a little bit in the, their natural capacity to communicate verbally or their natural capacity to think as fast as their wives think do a really good job if both parties understand biblical role relationships and having a very successful marriage. Mm. So if you're in a marriage where your spouse— needs a little more time to process things before they respond. You have a responsibility as a loving husband or wife to encourage that, not to try to push that person down, or to somehow use your your intellect or your verbal skills to dominate the other, either direction. So it's, it takes, you know, two to tango and in a, in a relationship if one person wants to dominate they have the natural abilities to do that, they might do that. But it's it's also important for both parties. So I would say like for example, if you're a man and you're in, in a relationship where you're like, man, I'd, my wife just runs verbal circles around me or she's just quicker than me, I would identify that. I would say, hey, I want I want to talk to you about something. You know, I, I, I really want to be the spiritual leader that you need and that God wants me to be. But sometimes I just feel that you expect a quicker response and maybe I'm capable of or, in all honesty, sometimes I'm a little intimidated by your intellect. So just identify the elephant in the room. And then you could say, could you help me to create an environment in our marriage where I have a little more time to unpack that? Because I really want to follow God's patterns and principles here. Mm-hmm. And so if you wouldn't mind, you know, once a week, ask me a question. And when I'm speaking and maybe stumbling over my words or slurring my words, you know, give me the time that I need because on a heart level, I have been equipped by God to lead this relationship. I know how to lead this relationship, but I just, I don't want the gifts that God has given to you as my wife to necessarily impede my ability to do that. So that would be
0: a little tactic that I might employ. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that comes to my mind is that as you, even as you're talking through these things, I'm like men and women are different. They process things differently. Uh, and so I know that there's probably lies and emotions that, feed in that are behind that kind of passivity like that that inform us based on that and so maybe you could explore that a little bit being
1: introspective understanding why you think act and feel the way that you do is is important and assessing the why behind my actions I think is is redemptive and can lead to good outcomes so when just think about this: when a husband or wife, a number come to mind. So when a husband or wife are in a conflict, or they're they're trying to make uh, there's a uh, directions trying to be in, tr- trying to be given to the to the relationship when it comes to having children, children, child discipline, church related matters, spiritual issues. Women tend. Okay, this is a general generality, but I think it's true. Women tend to have a little more relational horsepower than we do. So when men, I even noticed this with my own wife and daughter. So my wife likes to bike ride, but I know that when she goes on bike rides with her female friends, that there's an expectation that there's going to be a, an, a relational dimension to that. I bet, I bet you if a bunch of guys get together in our church, the bottom line is, yeah, we're going to have fun. We're going to tease each other, but I just want to win. Or I want to, you know, perform well. But women obviously have a, a a more obvious expression of desire for relationships. And conflicts that husbands and wives have are innately relational. And because some men just don't have as much of a vested interest, I guess, they don't feel such an immediate need for relationships, they can easily just blow it off. So it's like, yeah, there's an issue in my marriage, but whatever. They don't don't put it on the level of priority that some women do. And that comes back to bite them. So it's really important for men not to bury the relational issues that their wives are expressing or that they've identified in the relationship. Just like check check your mindset, check your spirit and say, yeah, I may not... I may not put as much of a value on, let's say, relational harmony or agreement or love in a relationship as my wife wants me to, but I am going to deal with the issues as they arise rather than letting them letting them build up. Many men don't want to say anything because they're afraid of the consequences. So they're like, you know, if I, uh, my, my wife and I were talking about this, I don't, I don't think she'd mind me sharing. In fact, I'm certain she wouldn't, but we were talking about how sometimes you know i i am probably a bit more of a, a natural leader as a male like it's maybe a little easier for me to lead out than you know some of my brothers in the faith but there are times when i know there's a an issue in my marriage and I'm, i just don't want to deal with it i'm just like i don't want to have that conversation and what crosses my mind is because that might lead to three more conversations or four more conversations or awkward moments or relational tension or whatever it might be. And I have to fight myself on that, especially if you've been working all day, ministering all day, you get other stuff in your mind. It's like, man, this is this is going to be a bit of an investment here. And I don't want to make that investment right now. But that's, an, that's a mistake. Mm. It doesn't mean that when an issue arises, you have to deal with it immediately. There may be other things going on. But- a fear of the consequences would be a fear that she's going to withdraw. Uh, for some, a fear that she's going to leave me, especially if you've been through relational breakdowns before. A fear that it's going to affect our financial life or our sex life or whatever it might be. This is where you have to be principled. If it's if it's an issue that needs to be addressed, you address the issue and you let the chips fall where they may. Okay, that's that's a principled approach. Mm-hmm. A third one Chris is that men are often a bit short-sighted so they allow certain patterns unhealthy patterns to build up in a marriage or relationship with their fiance or girlfriend they don't want to deal with them because they want harmony or oneness right now and those build up so they become patterns in a marriage mm-hmm. so it's like yeah she's always kind of bucked my authority but big deal it's not that that not, not that big of a deal you know she's 20 years old But at 30, suddenly it's a big deal. And at 40, it's a nightmare. And at 50, it's a complete disaster, right? So dealing with role relational disputes, dealing with um, different expectations, different perspectives on parenting, different perspectives on church engagement is really important. Laziness would be another. You know, the, the stereotypical guy like sitting back in his easy chair, eating chips, drinking a beer and watching the game. And his wife's off to the side thinking, we have a major marital crisis going on here. And he's just pretending as if it doesn't exist. So laziness can impact a man's ability or willingness to deal with the hard issues that sometimes we need to deal with in marriage. The problem is the lack of time that we might be tempted to put into dealing with an issue will actually come back to bite us. Because Mm -hmm. over the long term, we're going to invest a lot more time in it when it becomes a crisis. So it's like the, the best time to remove a sliver from your hand is immediately after the sliver went into your skin. Mm-hmm. Not a week later when it's infected, a month later when you got gangrene kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You deal with it right away. You don't deal with a toothache once your tooth is rotted and your whole mouth is infected. You deal with it, you know, you, you get it drilled, you get the filling as soon as possible. It might hurt a little bit and be uncomfortable and take some of your time and money, but you deal with disease quickly. And if there's a little bit of disease sneaking into your relationship and you're like, I'm just going to put it off another month, another year, another anniversary, this is where you have marriages that become very challenging. And usually it's when people are in full-out crisis mode that they seek intervention, right? Yeah, that's exactly it's like it. I'm knocking on the door of the pastor's house at midnight because I have, a, I have a crisis and it has to be dealt with now. We've had an affair in our relationship. Oh, really? Tonight we have to deal with that? Because I'm pretty sure your marriage has been leading in that direction for years now. And you just didn't deal with it along the way. So make sure you fight laziness. Bad theology is another one where people have um, not studied scripture. They they don't understand that men are actually the spiritual leaders of their marriages. They don't believe or have never been taught that a wife is required to submit to her husband, not to everyone's husband, but to her husband. Mm-hmm. That that is explicitly taught in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that a husband is explicitly told to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's not an option. So if you don't understand those biblical categories, that can be a problem. So th- these are good things to sort of raise in people's minds because being aware of the the issues, the lies, the, the emotions that lie behind passivity is sort of half of the battle to creating a marriage
0: or a relationship that is meaningful and Christ centered. Mm-hmm. So positively speaking, we want to talk about some of the we know principles lead into actions, right? The the attitude you have towards something leads to the action, changes your thinking. So we want to talk about principles that would bring about change in behavior, so some some basic principles for men to consider. What would be a few that you can think of that would be helpful? I've been emphasizing this as clearly as I can
1: to all of the young couples in our church that I've married over the last couple of years, and that is driving home this idea that marriage is a dramatic portrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a couple understands that, that there's a third party in their marriage, the Lord Jesus Christ, that rules over both of them, and the closer they draw to him, the closer they draw to one another. If they understand that the husband's job is to role-play Christ in the relationship, to love his wife as his own body, for no one ever hated their own body, but nourishes it, cherishes it. If we could teach men to actually do that, to love their wives sacrificially, to lead their wives lovingly, women would be delighted in that. And if we could do a better job in teaching women to respect your husband, to encourage him, when he makes good decisions, to submit to his leadership, to, to 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 avoid the sins of manipulation or usurpation or dominance, to to fan that flame of giftedness that God has given to him. This is literally putting the gospel on display in a dramatic fashion. This is a vertical marriage, not just a horizontal marriage, but a vertical marriage that's centered on Christ and rooted in Christ where the husband and wife role play Christ and the church. This is a beautiful vision of a Christian view of marriage. And I would encourage those of you who maybe haven't read it for a while, like read Ephesians chapter five. It's very explicit Mm -hmm. in it's description of marriage in that regard. So that means then that that any attack on male, female relationships and marriage is actually an attack on the gospel. So uh, a passive male, if, if, a, if a man is a passive male, what he's presenting to his wife is a passive Christ. <laughs> is Christ passive? No. no. Yeah, yeah. Right. But he's presenting to her this idea that, well, Christ is passive. This is what Christ is like. A violent husband is presenting to his wife a violent Christ. Likewise, an unsubmissive wife is saying it's okay for the church to be unsubmissive to Jesus. It's okay for the church to usurp Christ's authority. So when a husband or wife don't properly put the gospel on display in their respective roles, they're actually muddling and befuddling the the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. Now, I would say that the the first victims of that obscured gospel will be their children. But also, if if a mother and father don't put the gospel on display in their marriage, it's going to be confusing for kids to be reading Ephesians five and being told, this is the role of the husband to emulate Christ. This is the role of the wife to emulate the church. It's like, well, I don't don't see that in in my, um, my marriage or my parents' marriage. So we have to emulate Christ. Secondly, we need to acknowledge the assault and just flat out reject complacency. We have to carve out time to talk about these issues. We have to ask our spouses for input. If you're not talking about something Related to your marriage or family life at least once or twice a week, you're probably headed in the wrong direction. These aren't anniversary evening conversations. We need to continue to have ongoing conversations. If they're five-minute conversations or five-hour conversations, well, that depends on, that's going to depend on the, the complexity of the situation. But Christian couples should constantly be making adjustments and talking about the, the gospel-centered nature of their, their relationship. And if there are, if there are Expectations or offenses that the other person is not meeting, have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Third, we need to choose courage. It's interesting that a lack of courage is on sort of the damnation list of sins. Mm-hmm. A lack of courage. Courage is not, I oh, just, I'm going to, you know, wrestle up my own, kind of pump up my own adrenaline and just try to be courageous. C- courage stems from a person who has heard the truth, embraced the truth, and has convictions that they would die for. Yep. And we need more courageous men and women. We need to be okay. We need to be courageous enough to say, if the Bible says it, I believe it. Mm -hmm. If the Bible says, I won't apologize for it. Creatures don't apologize to other creatures for what the Creator has said. They don't. They don't do that. Biblical doesn't mean backwards, biblical means blessed. When we follow the Bible, we're blessed. If we get pushback, it doesn't mean we're necessarily wrong. We need to be prepared to stand before God and give an account for the decisions we've made. So we need more men and women who are courageous Mm -hmm. in dealing with the issues that inevitably will be foisted upon them in their marriage. We also need to learn to be firm. Men in particular, I think, sometimes struggle, well, if I'm firm, they're going to think I'm violent. No, no. Deep down in the heart of every godly woman, she will respect your firmness. You can test that out in the dating years. She will respect your firmness. There are certain things. See, here, here's the thing. Even though sin has obscured it, the redeemed woman, the godly woman, the Christian woman, will, because she's indwelt with the Spirit of God and has the Word of God before her, she may in her flesh resist it, but she will actually appreciate the godly man who's firm in his decisions provided that she knows, this is critical, provided that she knows that he's willing to stand before God for the decisions he makes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And guys, if you're listening and you're in a little bit of a pickle with your wife and you have a conflict, don't use this as a manipulative tactic, but understand this. If you say to your wife, honey, we may not, we may not be able to agree on this issue, but I'm prepared to stand before God and give an account for the decision I've, I'm making in this regard, that will be a huge relief to her and a massive blessing to her and your children. Mm-hmm. So being firm, I would also encourage uh, men, if they're new to the Christian faith or on the younger side of life, to get a mentor. There's two kinds of mentors you can have, formal mentors. We actually go up to someone and say, look, I, I'm dating, I'm engaged, I'm married. I just really f- I respect how you you conduct yourself in marriage. And I want you to mentor me for 10, 12, 15 weeks, whatever it might be. I want to meet with you. I get a lot. Of, I get a list of questions. I want to help me work through these things. You can do that. And then there's also mentors you just sort of watch. They become your mentor by observation, where you just watch, identify the men in your church, for example, that seem to have intact marriages and their kids are turning out well. Just watch how they conduct themselves with their spouses. and You can learn a lot from that. Never think never think that, well, if I came from the wrong side of the tracks, if I came from a broken home, I'm skunked. So I don't know how many of our listeners know this, but I, um, my parents' marriage broke down when I was 10 years old, and there were six children that my mom sought to raise by herself between the ages of 2 and 13. It was uh, very challenging. Uh, we we were short on money. Uh, my, my dad tried to help where he could, but uh, ultimately my parents were you know their their marriage was broken up we later moved away so we were like an hour or two away from dad and i didn't have then firsthand access from the age of 10 onwards to what in those critical years to even what dating or marriage looked like but by god's grace he just kind of put this little piece of insight into me i need to watch other men if my dad's not close in proximity if i can't watch him then I need to identify men in my church that I can watch. And I always, I think did a pretty good job of that. I, I, w- I liked hanging around with guys who were older than me and they sort of became my ad hoc mentors. And I watched and observed how they conducted themselves in marriage. There's still a little bit of, um, there was still a little bit of lack of s- certainty or surety when I when I started dating and ultimately pursuing my wife because I wasn't really sure how all that worked. But even if you've lost your dad, your dad's died, or your parents have separated, you're not skunked, you're not jinxed. We can learn from good examples and we, le- we can learn from um, bad examples. And the cool thing about marriage is each new generation has the chance to hit the reset button and to start afresh and to establish their marriage and their family based upon biblical values, whether or not you saw those uh, put into practice in your your home of origin. Mm-hmm. The opposite is also true. If you're raised if you raised in a home where your parents just did a really good job of it, you might be kind of lazy and just assume exactly. it's easy. So that can be a problem as well. So your dad may or may not be a great example. Doesn't matter. We have the Bible. Your church may or may not be helpful. Like if there's not a lot of godly men in your church or there's no mentoring processes or programs, you still have the Bible. Now, if you're in a church that is teaching falsehood in this regard or is actually counterproductive, sorry to say, but you may need to try to work for change in your church or find another church because we often, um, we know that iron sharpens iron (laughs) Mm -hmm. and ambiguity creates ambiguity. So if you're around a lot of ambiguity or bad examples that can also affect you negatively.
0: Yeah, it definitely can rub off, right? I've also
1: mentioned to young men that if you're so this is more for guys that are looking to be married, they're not yet married, they're single, they're sort of in that period of time when they're they're of marriable age, but they're not married yet. One of the things that I would encourage guys to do is grow up, be mature. If there's one thing that young women find very off-putting, it's an immature man. So And even if they're not wise enough to see that, it's going to affect them when they start dating you. So women don't want to date boys. They want to date men. And I would say, I would even go far as to say, act older than you are. And you know why I would say that? Because if you act older than you are compared to culture, you'll actually be acting your age. (laughs) Because most guys are acting younger than they are. You know, We still have uh, men in our culture that are, mid to late 20s that have no direction. They, they don't know they they have no idea what they're gonna do for a career. They're still living in the basement. Um, they're spinning their wheels, they're hopping from job to job. They're still video gaming and staying up at all hours of the night watching television. That's generally a parental issue, whether the parents admit it or not, either verbally or through your passivity, parents often have a role in that. Men need to be told you know, when you're 18, you're a man. So my three sons, our understanding was, and I have a good relationship with all three of my boys, our understanding was when you're 18, you are actually an adult. My job raising you as a child is done, you're an adult. So you need to act like an adult. Mm -hmm. And that means you need to act like an adult with your finances. That means you need to act like an adult with your educational choices. That means you need to act like an adult with your choices with women. You need to act like an adult. And I reserve the right, because I'm also your Christian brother, to step in at times and maybe say, hey, I'm not sure, son, that this is a great decision. Just like any other Christian man would have the right to do that, to step in. But I'm not gonna make your life work. I'm not gonna find you a job. I'm not gonna find you a girl. Uh, Don't expect that I'm going to necessarily permit you to keep living in my house. We can have that conversation, but now it's a privilege, not something you're owed. Don't expect me to pay your tuition. If I want to help you, we'll have that conversation, but don't expect it. Don't expect me to hold your hand. Mm -hmm. And that might sound uh, in the ears of some to be, uh, overly aggressive or mean-spirited, but deep down, young boys love that. They want to be released. They want to be told, oh, my dad actually thinks I'm a man. He actually thinks I can make my de- my own decisions. I'm actually responsible now. Wow. Mm-hmm. They will embrace that if you've taught them that. But the, one of the critical mistakes that parents make is they treat their children like children for too long. And when I say children, I mean like, non-adult children Mm -hmm. so i i want my sons to act their age if not a few years older so one of the greatest compliments that a young christian man should be getting is wow i didn't realize you were that young i I thought you were older than you are not because you got wrinkles and gray hair but because you're, you're very mature this is what we need more of in the christian church not the not these guys that you know slump around, get, get nothing done, make excuses, hide behind their parents, are sort of tied to their mother's proverbial apron string, but are actually men. You know that could go to war, that could uh, work a full-time job, that could lead a relationship. We need more of those manly men. Mm-hmm. Manliness, manly men, doesn't mean you need to be a uh, you know a wrestler. I was going to say a sumo wrestler, but it doesn't mean you need to be a wrestler or win every, win every, you can have a manly man who's wheelchair bound. You could have a manly man who has physical disabilities, but he's a manly man. He's responsible. He knows how to take initiative. He's got his head screwed on and he's madly in love with God and seeking to pursue the things of God. Hmm. If you're that kind of a man, it's inconceivable to me that you'll be single for very much longer. <laughs> because this is what a lot of the young Christian women are desperately seeking for. It's just that many of them have to settle with very immature men because we're part of a culture where the church has been infected with this kind of stuff. And don't apologize for any privileges you might have. If you, if you come from money or you come from a great intact family, those aren't privileges, those are blessings. And your job
0: is to simply levy them for the glory of God. Well, that is very helpful explaining some of the core issues of passivity, where it comes from. And uh, I think that'll be helpful for our listeners to take and not hopefully to not just passively listen to, but to actively put into practice. So that's your challenge this week, men, as you listen, is not to just listen to a podcast, but to actually go and act. And initiate the way God has called you. If you're new to the show, just a reminder um, that would be helpful to you that this show is hosted on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. You can download this podcast over on their app and you can download their app rather from flfnetwork.org. Really helpful to go there and get that because that app won't be censored. Uh, In the news this week, there's a new bill that's passed in Canada that will lead to censorship of media. So Super important you get the the, uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast app. You can also listen to us on the CJXC radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion. That's 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and rebroadcast at 11 p.m. on Thursdays. Thank you, Aaron, for your time. Thank you for sharing with us. To our listeners, thank you for listening. Please share the podcast, rate and subscribe and all that good stuff. And tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.